Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. The year is 2012. It was the summertime, and it was about three weeks before I started my sophomore year at Adams State College. And I found myself on a two-week two week backpacking trip. I was on this two-week backpacking trip for a course that I was taking for a minor degree that I got from the college. And the whole idea of this excursion, of this backpacking trip, was that we as the students were supposed to learn all that we had to about backpacking so that we in turn could lead others in the backcountry and, and, and look, teach them how to backpack. So we learned all the ins and outs, how to set up a tent, how to pack a backpack, trail etiquette, all those types of things. And during the course of this excursion, uh, there was about 14 participants, 14 students, and we had to take turns leading the group. Uh, the instructors taught us everything we needed to know, and they would say, here's the point you need to be on the map. At this time, lead your group. It was a co-leader situation, and the instructors would just take off. It was all up to us, these young college kids, to guide our troop you know, through the backcountry to this certain spot. And on, on, my leader day, on my leadership day, not to be too humble about it, I was killing it. I was doing great. The day was beautiful. We were making great time. We were having fun on the trail. I was doing awesome. Me and my co-leader were just, we were vibing, we were doing, we were in sync, we were doing great. But as we were going, a creeping, haunting feeling started to creep up in the back of my mind. This doesn't look right. Now I push, the, push that feeling away. I'll just keep going. It can't be going wrong. The sun's out. We're doing great. There's nothing going wrong. I keep going. Going down the trail, the haunting feeling comes back. Something doesn't feel right. Keep pushing it down. Keep going. Keep going my way. Eventually, the co-leader comes up to me. He asks, where are we? <laughs> and I said, I thought you knew. And that creeping, haunting feeling came true that we really didn't know where we were at. We thought we knew where we were at, but we were lost. Um, we got off track. We got off the path. We got off the course. And it wasn't until we busted out the map we realized, okay, yeah, we're not where we're supposed to be. It was a humbling experience because after that beautiful day, weather rolled in, it started to rain. We had to navigate through the backcountry, weed whacking bushwhacking through to get to where we needed to be. In light of all that, I had to teach a lesson in the pouring rain about how to cook food in the backcountry. Needless to say, we didn't really eat a whole lot that night. But I think about that story often. I think of that, about that experience often because I think it's analogous to life, right? Sometimes we think we're on the right path, things are going great, and all of a sudden we realize we're not where we're supposed to be. And I think that this also applies to the life of faith. You see, the life of faith is a journey. We are pilgrims. We are on a pilgrimage as Christians. And sometimes when we compare the faith to a journey, it almost sounds kind of spiritualist. It almost sounds kind of new agey. Well, you're on your own journey, and I'm on my own journey. Uh, but the Bible does present the Christian walk as a journey, as a path. When we think of the Christian walk and a journey, we think of Pilgrim's Progress. 
John Bunyan, that, that great Christian novel about Christian going through and uh, tra- traveling his way to the celestial city. But listen to what the book of Proverbs says about this path that we should walk. Proverbs 4.26, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And also from Proverbs chapter 4, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full, way, until full day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. So you see, when we read the book of Proverbs and other places in the scriptures, we are essentially presented with two ways to live. We can follow the path of life or the path of destruction. Uh, the path of righteousness or the way of the wicked. The way of wisdom or the way of folly. And I think when we think about the, the Christian life as a journey, it really gets to this, this idea that there's, there's power in metaphor. There's power in metaphor. You know, metaphor is that literary device that is used to explain something, but it's not meant to be taken literally. There's many, many bi- uh, uh, metaphors in the Bible. For example, a metaphor that we use to describe the church is what? The body of Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the light of the world. I am the way. So using these metaphors, they help us to explain the nature of faith. That the faith is a path to walk. The faith is a journey. And sometimes that's what we say, right? When we check in with our brothers and sisters, we say, how's your walk? How's your walk with the Lord? How are you walking with the Lord? You see, brothers and sisters, we are all on this journey of faith as individuals but also as a church. We are moving somewhere as a church. And the Word of God is our map. The Word of God is our guide. It guides us, it directs us, it comforts us, it corrects us, and it spurs us onward. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians this morning. I want to look at the the introductory passage here that the Apostle Paul writes and ask what we can glean from this passage to direct us in our walk with the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he's never met the Colossians face to face. He's never met the Colossians in person. He's only heard about them from his friend Epaphras. Uh, But the way that the Apostle Paul writes, and the way he describes the Colossians, it's like he's met them. It's like he, he knows them. It's like he's spent time with them. The way he describes the church and the the in-depth, it sounds like he almost knows them. But it begs the question, since Paul gets this report and he only hears of the Colossian church, how would people describe us as a church? If people only heard of us, if someone came through our doors and spent time with us and went back and gave a report, how would we be described as a church? What would the good things come up in that report? What would be some of the things that we need to work on? How would we be described as a church? Well, let's use Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at this, this map, as it were. As we think about this, as, the, on, as we're on a journey of faith, both as individuals and as a church, let's use Colossians 1 as a map to see where we're going. If you've spent time backpacking or in the backcountry, you, know, you bust out the map, you try to look for indicators, you know, phys, uh, physical indicators to make sure you're going on the right path. You know, you... You get out the map, you look, we, you know, here's this you know, cliff band, here's this saddle between two hills. And as you go, you ask questions, right? Are we in the right place? 
Have we crossed that stream near that certain hill? Have we met this meadow yet? And what I want to do is ask us some questions tonight, this, this morning, not tonight. Ask us some questions this morning as we look at this map to see if we're on the right path, to see if we are going the way we are supposed to go. What the Apostle Paul does is he looks at the characteristics of this church, things that are already true of this church in Colossae, and he also prays for certain things uh, that might happen in their lives. So let's read verse 3 of chapter 1 of Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now pause there for a moment. Uh, as Jerome said, we have a sermon, sermon series on prayer coming up, and this passage is drenched with prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for the Colossian church. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it, do, as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. There it is again. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have, we, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So as I said, if you're actually going out backpacking, you look for trail markers. You look for indicators to make sure you are on the right path. So in our journey of faith, the first trail marker we're going to encounter in this passage is knowledge. That's the big indicator to tell us that we are on the right path, knowledge. You see, God wants intelligent Christians. We are called to love the Lord, our God, with our minds. Laziness in our thinking is not optional. You see, Paul sees this in the Colossians. They are intelligent Christians, but he also prays for more knowledge. God wants Christians who are confident in faith and in the knowledge of his will. He wants Christians to have an increasing knowledge, a growing knowledge, an enlivening knowledge, and an effective knowledge. And we see this in verse 4. Paul says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The Christian life begins with faith, it is sustained by faith, and it ends in faith. Now, some might hear this and see the association between faith and knowledge and think that those two things are exclusive. You can't have faith and knowledge. You're supposed to turn off your mind in order to believe something. You just step out in blind faith. But the biblical view of faith is not like that. The biblical view of faith has much to do with knowledge. You see, there are essentially three elements when it comes to faith in the Bible's thinking. First, there is knowledge. There are certain things to be believed. There's a certain set of facts that you must believe in order to believe the gospel. Namely, that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. 
that he is the Messiah, that he lived a righteous life, that he died a death, that he was, was buried, raised from the grave, and ascended. If you don't believe those facts, and if you don't know those facts, you can't be a Christian. There's a certain body of knowledge that we must know in order to believe. You can't believe in somebody who you do not know. There's, first of all, knowledge. And then there's approval. We have to approve of the things that, is, that are presented to us. We have to agree. We have to know certain things, and we have to agree with those certain things. And the last element to faith is trust. To truly believe, to take what you know and to believe. To put your faith into it, to trust it all the way down. So faith and knowledge are not exclusive, but they go hand in hand with one another. And sometimes that's what we say, right? When we ask if someone has faith in Christ, we say, do you know Christ? Knowledge implies faith. Faith implies knowledge. And the more you know about God, the more you know about Christian truth, the more your faith grows. The more your faith grows, as you exercise your faith, you're growing in knowledge. You're finding out more implications to your faith, more insights into your faith. Faith and knowledge are related. And Paul also prays that these Christians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a huge question, right? What is the will of God for my life? What is God's will for my life? Um, we have questions about that when it comes to our personal lives. What job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I move? Where should I go to school? Uh, but the, the will of God that the Apostle Paul is speaking about here is not a personal will for your life, but it's God's will for the world. He prays that these Christians will understand what God is doing in the world, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is God's will for the world? If someone came up to you and asked, what is God doing in the world? What would you say? Well, the next section of Scripture actually gives us that answer found in verses 15 through almost the end of the chapter, he says this, the image, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Christ created all things. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the firstborn from the dead. And verse 20 really keys us into what God is doing in the world. Through Christ, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is God doing in the world? He is glorifying His Son, and through Jesus, He is reconciling all things to Christ, meaning that all things will be put back into right order because of the work of Christ. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what He is doing in the world. And it talks about the Apostle Paul doesn't just pray for wisdom and understanding, but he prays for spiritual wisdom and understanding, meaning that these Christians would have the spiritual eyes to see through the physical things going on in the world, see through the veil of what's going on in the world, and they would see what God is doing. Through the chaos, through the brokenness, through the fallenness, that we would have the spiritual eyes to see that God is going to fix this. God is working out his plan in some mysterious way for his glory. We don't look at the physical things. The physical things might tell us that all is lost. If you watch the news, it's all bad news. If you just read the news and look at the news, you might get the impression that God's not in control. 
This plan is off the rails. But we need to spiritualize, and that's what the Apostle Paul prays for, the spiritualize to see that through the chaos, through the things that seem like they're not going according to plan, that in fact they are going according to plan in, in God's mysterious providence, in, in God's mysterious will and ways. We need to spiritualize to see that, and the faith to believe that. That's what he prays for, that they would understand his will, the glorification of Jesus and the reconciliation of all things. And the, the part that we play in that is found in the next couple of verses. In verse 21, what's the will of God for our life right now? And you, who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's the will of God for your life today. That you would be grounded in the truth. That you would be holy and blameless. That you would not shift from the hope of the gospel. Yes, those questions of God's personal will for our life are very important. But let's focus on what God has clearly revealed to us. That's the will of God for our life. Monday morning, to be holy, blameless, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's the will of God for your life. That's the will of God for the Colossians believers as well. So we have these words here, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. I want you to see here in verse 6, it says that these Colossian believers, they understood the grace of God in truth. Do you understand the grace of God? Not just know it, not just have a definition for it, but do you, do you understand it? It's where you understand it so deeply that the grace of God shapes you, and it has changed you, and it continues to change you. You see, these believers didn't just have a superficial understanding. They had a deep understanding that changed them. And the Apostle Paul also prays that this knowledge would increase, increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, brothers and sisters, maturity in the Christian life means growing in our knowledge. It means coming to learn more things about God. Discovering new insights or implications into your faith. So that's the first big trail marker that the Apostle Paul leaves us. I want to ask you some questions to see if you're on the path, to see if you're on, on the journey. First, first and foremost, do you have faith? Do you know Christian truth? Do you agree with that? Do you trust it? Do you have saving faith in Christ? Have you trusted him and called out to him to save you from your sin, that you might be redeemed? Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? From your conversion to now, has your mind expanded in the things of God? Do you understand God's grace? And do you know the will of God, his cosmic plan in the universe? Can you look past all the chaos and know that God is working out his plan. If we can ascend to these things, if we can say yes to these things and agree with these things, we're, we're probably on the right path. As the Apostle Paul says, we need knowledge. It's the first big trail marker to know if we are on the path as individuals and as a church. Do we know God? Do we know his will? Are we continuing to grow in that knowledge? And you see, this knowledge is not just ivory tower knowledge, but it's effective knowledge. And that leads us to our second trail marker, action. 
The next thing we're looking for on this path is action. Knowledge that leads to action. See, action is simply obedience. It is walking out our faith. It is living lives consistent with the things that we profess. And here's another, another metaphor. It means we are bearing fruit. We are bearing fruit. Paul desires that we take our knowledge and, like seed, plant it into our lives that we may bear fruit. That metaphor, bearing fruit, means that it's, it's, it indicates a changed life. It indicates a different moral direction. It implies growth. It implies health. It implies being alive. Uh, John the Baptist, when he confronts the Pharisees, he tells them to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance, a change of the mind, a change of direction. Bear fruit in that. Keep walking in that repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. So that's the next big trail marker. We are taking our knowledge and putting it into action. We are actually obeying the things that God has called us to obey. And I want you to see the connection. The Apostle Paul says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that you know Christ, and that you love the saints. They know Christ and they love. They have a knowledge and they work that out in, in action. And also see the connection again in verses 9 through 10. And when I read this, I want you to, to envision this passage like a spiral staircase with different landings. I know a spiral staircase doesn't have landings necessarily, but I want you to envision we're going up some stairs and we're hitting a landing. And we turn and we go up some stairs and we hit another landing. And we turn and we go up and we hit another landing. This is a, a, a spiral type of concept. In verse 9 he says, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So bam, there we are, our first landing. It's filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But we keep climbing and we hit the next landing so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We continue to go up. We hit the next landing, fully pleasing to him, going up, hitting the next one, bearing fruit in every good work. And how does it end? Increasing in the knowledge of God. You notice this little verse here starts with knowledge and it ends with knowledge. This isn't a path where we just start at one point, end in a circle, and we're done. But as I said, it's a spiral. We keep going up. As we start with the knowledge of God, we walk in a manner worthy of Him, we please Him, we bear fruit in every good work, we increase in the knowledge of God, and we start all over. We must be active in our faith. As it says, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, meaning that the things that we profess about the gospel, we live in our life. We seek to not have our lives in contradiction a contradiction between the things that we say and the things that we do. It also says that we actually fully please God when, he, when we walk in a manner worthy of Him. Did you know that you can please the Father truly and actually? I think sometimes as Christians, although we pray to our Heavenly Father, sometimes we still feel that there's that barrier of guilt and condemnation. Yes, He's forgiven us, gives, given us, but sometimes we feel we're still not worthy of that forgiveness. But the text here says that we can actually please God. He's our Father. 
And as His children, we can please Him. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's kind of a judicial standing, that we are not condemned by our sin. But the fact that we've been adopted means that we can please our Heavenly Father. So brothers and sisters, if you struggle with that idea, if you struggle with the idea that you think that you can't ever please God the Father, the Apostle Paul says we can. We can please our Heavenly Father by walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as we walk and as we please Him, we bear fruit in every good work, and we increase in the knowledge of God. Essentially, the Apostle Paul is praying for maturity. He's praying that these Christians would grow, that they would grow up. If they are children in the faith, he prays that they might become adults. And if they are little sapling trees, he prays that they might become strong oak trees. We have this other metaphor, this other image in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, there's, a, there's the other connection. Walk, we are rooted, we're built up just as we've been taught. There's the connection between knowledge and action again. So some questions to see if we are on the path. Do you live a consistent life? If your profession is of Christ, does your life speak of Christ? Do you live a consistent life? And if you realize you're not living a consistent life, do you at least strive to live consistently? Do you realize your shortcomings, take those to prayer, and try to live a life worthy of the gospel? Has there been notable growth in your walk with Christ? If you knew an acquaintance years before you knew Christ, and if he knew you now, would he be able to look at your life and say, yes, you have grown? Has there been a notable growth in your life with Christ? Are you able to look at your life and draw a line from a certain action and point it back to the Word of God? A certain lifestyle and point it back to the Word? A certain value that you have? Does the Word of God inform your actions? Are you devoting yourselves to good works? Seeking to be a light? For Christ in the world, to be zealous for good works? Are you putting your faith into action? And as we do these things, as we know certain things about the Christian faith, and as we put these things into action, our third big trail marker is characteristics, meaning that our lives should be marked by certain characteristics or qualities, certain things that describe us as people. There are things that we know, there are things that we do, and there are things that our lives should be characterized by. And there are several qualities or characteristics in this passage. The first one we see is that these believers had hope. A hope laid up in heaven for them. In fact, if you've read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he's got a character in that book named Hopeful. Because we as believers ought to be hopeful. And our hope, as it says, is up in heaven. It is up in heaven. It's really connected down in verse 12 to this inheritance that we will receive. You see, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. You see, when we get to heaven, when we cross that bridge, we will receive something. 
We will be receiving something when we get to the other side. That's the hope that we have. And in fact, the Apostle Peter also connects hope with this idea of inheritance in his epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to these words. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you see, brothers and sisters, generally on this side of the cross, when a loved one of ours dies, sometimes we receive an inheritance. But when we die, we will receive an inheritance. We are not just looking forward to a state of blessedness and a state of no pain and no suffering when we get to heaven, but we will actually be receiving something, heavenly gifts, heavenly things that our heavenly Father has set aside for us. And this is why we have hope. We can look past this life and look forward to something beyond the grave. But the Apostle Paul also, also prays that these Christians might be strong. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Strong in faith, strong in character, strong in will. May we be strong Christians like the Apostle Paul prays for. These Christians, Paul prays for endurance, able to keep going, able not to give up, able to persevere, to have patience, to deal with the things around us, to be joyful. Endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks that we might be thankful. So do those qualities describe your life? Are you a hopeful person? Having hope not grounded on planet earth, but grounded in the heavenly places. Are you a joyful person? Or are you curmudgeonly and miserly? Are you a joy to be around? Or a bore to be around? Are you thankful? Everything you receive in life, whether good or bad, do you respond in thanksgiving? Are you strong in the faith today? Are you going to endure in the faith today? See, the Apostle Paul prays that these qualities might be true of the Colossian believers. So friends, those are at least some of the characteristics, some of the trail markers to help us gauge where we're at as individuals and as a church. Do we have knowledge? As we walk this path of faith, do we have knowledge? Are we putting that knowledge into action? And are, by doing both of those things, is our life being described in a certain way? The Word of God is a plentiful map for us. Whenever we come to the Word of God, Really, in any place, we can use this and gauge where we're at and where we're at on this journey of faith. And I want to switch gears for a little bit and, and talk to you about what we've got going on here at the church and some of the things that you can look forward to. Um, Colleen, if you want to throw that graphic up on the screen, that would be great. If you got a bulletin today, you noticed there's this interesting little graphic here called the Discipleship Pathway. And this is something we are unveiling, something that's it's, it's a direction we're moving as a church. Obviously, at, 
it has this, this metaphor of journey in mind. But I wanted to take a moment to talk through this, to give an update to the church about how we're going to be using this, because we're praying that this is going to be used as a really powerful tool for us as we move forward as a church. Let me say a couple things about some of the idea behind this graphic, and I'll get into you know, the path that we, are, we want you to walk. First of all, this uh, little discipleship pathway is going to be used, for, used by us to kind of organize our ministries. Um, in previous years, we've kind of had a map model to disciple, or a menu model to discipleship. You know, you open a menu, we have all these things that you can do, and you choose. But now we are kind of transitioning into the map. Here's where you need to go. Let us help you and direct you in that way. And if you have a bulletin, you might notice on that first page, next to all the announcements, you might notice a couple of icons there and a couple of graphics. You see, these, these little graphics correspond to uh, the discipleship pathway. The cross signifies worship. So if there's an activity coming up that is associated with worship, we're going to put that little cross there. If there's an activity coming up that emphasizes growth, you'll see the little a plant. If there's um, a service opportunity or missions uh, event going on, you'll see the hands. And something that has to do with community, you'll see the people. So I encourage you to check that out if you don't have one. So it's going to be used by us to organize, you know, organize our ministries and also evaluate our ministries. If there's a ministry that lends itself to worship, we're going to put it in the worship category and we're going to base how its effectiveness on how well it does worship or community building and those types of things. I want you also to notice that this pathway is circular. And I want us to keep that in mind, uh, keep the book of Colossians in mind, that this is not just circular, but spiral, right? Uh, we start with worshiping God. We find community. We grow in Christ. We serve others. And we don't just stop, walk the path, I'm done. But that should lend us to worshiping God and developing more community and growing deeper in Christ and serving others. What we've really tried to do is try to make discipleship holistic. And what I mean by that is there's some directional things, some directions we want you to go that correspond to each of these categories. If you notice, there's an upward direction, worship God. That implies our vertical relationship. Find community. That implies an inwardness to our Christian lives. Grow in Christ. We ought to be growing downward growing deep, being rooted, and then serving others, looking out to the world. You see, this is a, trying to promote a balanced view of discipleship. You see, we can't just be about finding community and only hanging out with believers. Uh, we can't just be about worshiping God and having these experiences vertically, but we need a holistic approach to our lives, upwards, inwards, outwards, and downwards. And the last thing I'll say before we get into some of the activities that we could do, that there's really an informal way to approach this, but there's also formal ways to approach this. By formal, I mean there's a set day, a set time, a set uh, expectation of what we're going to be doing. And let me just run you through this. If you have a bulletin, this will be on the second page here. Let me run you through some of the main activities we want to see in your life if you're going to be a disciple and pursue discipleship here in this church. First of all, let's start with worship God. What does that mean? Well, we've broken this down into three things. We want, people, we want to see people worship God as individuals. We want to see families worshiping together. And we want to see us gathered together on a Sunday morning in corporate worship. I want you to notice that there's an informal aspect and a formal aspect. 
formal, individual worship, and family worship, right? There's no necessarily set time, no set curriculum that you have to do in individual worship, but we want you to be pursuing Christ in your individual life. You ought to, as believers, have a regular time in the Word of God in prayer. For me, that's in the morning. For you, that might be in the evening. But we want to encourage you to pursue Christ, to fellowship with God regularly through the Word and through prayer. And we also want families to be worshiping as well. Families to be worshiping as well. You know, also, once again, informal, whether that's in the morning, whether that's in the evening, we want to lift up family worship, family religion, family discipleship, where the family can come together, read the Word of God, pray, sing, and just simply worship God together as a family. But then we have corporate worship, right? We want to see people in church because that's where we come together as the body. We're not just individuals on this path of faith. We're not just individual families on this path of faith, but we are the church. We are the family of faith. We want to see people at corporate worship because that's where we are most like the church. We are gathered together as the body of Christ. Let's go on to the next one, find community. Um, the formal aspect here is community groups. As, the, as uh, Jeron, I almost called him the Apostle Jeron. <laughs> we, want to find, we want community groups, as Jeron said. Um, we have several community groups going on, but there's always need, for, we always need leaders to lead those groups. And we want community groups to be a community-building uh, ministry. It's where you would find friendships in community groups and relationships. And you'd be connected to the church and have a group of believers that you can come to with prayer, with victories, with praises, with losses. We want everybody to have a community group that serves this purpose of community. So that's the formal aspect. You know, community groups meet throughout the week at a certain time, at a certain place. But also, we also want you to take the initiative to show hospitality. That's how we also find community. That's also how we build community is you as believers taking the initiative and reaching out to other believers to get to know them, to open up your lives and homes, and to show hospitality. So the formal way, and there's the informal way. Next, we want people to grow in Christ. Something new that we are introducing this fall, we have community groups, but we're also going to introduce something called discipleship groups. Um, let me explain a little bit about some of the ideas behind this and what these are going to be. So we have community groups. Community groups are generally co-ed. There are larger groups, families, singles, young people, older people, middle-aged people, whatever the case is. Uh, but these discipleship groups are going to be smaller groups. They're going to be uh, gender-specific, so men, men groups, women groups. And these are going to be the vehicle for discipleship and multiplication. The idea behind these groups is these groups are going to focus heavily on the Word of God, reading the Word of God together, memorizing the Word of God, and by God's grace, these groups will multiply. So the idea, hopefully, is that me and a couple other guys, we're going to meet together consistently throughout the year, grow in our Word, grow in the Word, hold each other accountable, and when that year comes back around, we're going to multiply, and each of us are going to find three other people, and we're going to do it all again. And we're going to multiply, and we're going to disciple each other. We're going to walk, walk this, this uh, life of faith out together, and we're going to multiply and bring other people in and do this together. So friends, if you have the ability to read, and if you have open times in your schedule, and you want to be involved in this discipleship group, let me know. 
We think that this is really, really going to be a, a powerful vehicle for discipleship in this church. Nextly, with the addition of the new building, we're going to have adult education eventually. Sunday school classes, classes throughout the week. Those are two of the formal things we've got going on. But I really want to encourage you, just as the, the book of Colossians tells us, to pursue growth. As individuals, pursue growth. Whether it's through community groups, whether it's through discipleship groups, we want you to have an attitude of vigorous growth. We want you to be excited about growing in Christ and pursuing that vigorously. Lastly, we have serve others. The formal aspect, we want you to find a place to serve here on the, in the church, whether that's on a Sunday morning, teaching the kids' ministry, greeting ministry, whether it's um, Wednesday night, serving with the, the youth, whatever the case is, we want you to find a place to serve. On the worship team, um, we want you to find a place to serve here at the church formally, but we also want you, in an informal sense, to seek the good of the valley to serve others around the world. You know, so this is mission trips. And, you know, if you're a business owner here in the church, uh, simply by operating your business well, uh, serving your customers, you're pursuing this. You are seeking the good of the valley through your business. So that's what we want. And obviously there's some overlap through this discipleship pathway. There's some things that, you know, we could add more in here. Um, but these are the main things. These are the main things that we want you to uh, get involved in. So, brothers and sisters, let's grow. Let's go and let's grow. Let's increase in our knowledge. Let's increase in our activity. Let's increase in our characteristics. Let's use this discipleship pathway to do that. I really want to encourage you guys um, to get on the pathway. You don't have to do every single thing that's up here, but at least start. And let us help you start. We as the pastors, we want to be here to help you get on the pathway. So please reach out if you want to get involved. Um, if, you ha if you've kind of been just coming to services on Sunday, which is a good thing, um, please go deeper, get involved. But my prayer is, friends, that we would be like the Colossian church, pursuing growth, growing in our knowledge. Let's pray for that right now. Let's pray that we as individuals and we as a church would grow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your revealed word to us that comforts us, that directs us, that guides us, that corrects us. Lord, my prayer is for us as Living Water Bible Fellowship, we would be like the Colossian believers. And I pray the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed, that we would increase in our knowledge of you, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, that we would be fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in every good work, and they would, that we would increase in the knowledge of God. Lord, may we be a hopeful church, a strong church, a patient church, an enduring church, a joyful church, and a thankful people. I thank you, Lord. Spur us on to these things. Spur us on to discipleship. Spur us on to the mission that you've called us for. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We say all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So brothers and sisters, thank you for being here today. Please reach out if you want to get involved. Let's continue on this journey of faith together. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. 
He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people. And right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.